perpetual traveler through the Bible. Please join me for the next part of my journey through the scriptures. Stay as long as you like and let us discover a bit more about the Bible. In the last Journey Through the Scriptures podcast, I ended rather abruptly with a statement that Jesus makes in Revelation 13 verses 9 that says, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. I never went on to talk about what Jesus says from verse 10 onwards. All I said was that Jesus used this phrase many times in his ministry, especially in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, when he spoke to the seven churches in Asia and said it seven times. By using this exhortation, Jesus is saying, Listen carefully, I'm about to say something important. Now before we jump into what Jesus is saying, there is a very interesting point that we might have missed. There is a phrase missing from this verse if you compare it to the one Jesus used in the book of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3. Can you spot it? Each time the phrase appears in chapters 2 and 3, it went like this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here in chapter 13, Jesus left the ending phrase out. The part that says, what the Spirit says to the churches. It is not there. If you are wondering why this phrase is not there, you could assume that what the Spirit says to the churches is not there because at that point in Revelation, the church is not there. It has been caught away to be with Jesus and is not there. If you think that, then you will be right, partially. However, the point that Jesus is making is that there is going to be a reality for all of us to listen to and to be aware of what is coming. Whether or not any of us are going to be alive or present at the time when this happens, whether we will be with Jesus in glory or facing the tribulation of the last days, it is an admonition for spiritual understanding. It is a call for perspective. It is a warning to realize the direction that the world is now already going. It is important that all of us realize today that some believers are going to be alive at that time. If the church is gone by that time, then there will be a new group of believers who need to hear and need to understand the same important fact that Jesus is about to expound in verse 10. God's plan to redeem man and to establish the kingdom of Christ has never been easy. It has always been a battle. It is a battle because Satan and his demons have fought God every step of the way. The most effective and potent weapon in Satan's arsenal against God and God's purpose can be summed up in one word. This is the word deception. Satan is a liar and is the father of lies. He is a deceiver, he is disguised as an angel of light, and his messengers and servants are also disguised as angels of light, though they are the agents of darkness. Satan has always tried to confuse people by covering up the truth of the saving gospel, to obscure the truth of the word of God with lies that are masquerading as if they are the truth. Satan has, from the very beginning, been busy bombarding the world with demonic doctrines and philosophies, coming from seducing spirits through false teachers and false prophets. The major agents of Satan in his fight against God are deceivers, whether they be demons or men. And as the world moves closer to the return of Christ, and closer to the coming kingdom that has been promised, you can be sure that Satan will escalate the efforts of false prophets. The closer we get to the end, the more false prophets will proliferate. And today we can see this happening all around us. So what must we learn? What do we need to hear in Revelation 13 verses 10? 
Let's see what the Revised Standard Version says. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone slays with a sword, with the sword must he be slain. The New International Version reads, If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. Now, this does not mean that captivity and death by the sword for believers is inevitable. Some translations are not very good at conveying the proper meaning of the original Greek. This verse should read, If anyone takes you captive, he himself will become a captive. And in the next line it should be translated as, If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. This verse is a word of encouragement to the believers of that day. All over the earth people will be taken captive and will be killed. God is simply saying to the others, Don't be discouraged. Hang in there. Don't let the slaughter deceive you. This is why it is so important as Christians today to not stick to a particular translation of the Bible, but to refer to several translations. What is John encouraging us to do today? We should not fall into Satan's trap of crying for justice, dishing out revenge and retribution for all the wrongs we are subjected to as Christians. The tax man is not persecuting you for your faith because you have to pay high taxes. Suffering a heart attack after years of abusing your body with stress, smoking and unhealthy eating is not unfair or an attack of Satan. However, despite man's wickedness, where they deliberately do wrong or evil, the law of consequences cannot be avoided forever. God does not forget. It might look like evil has triumphed and everything has gone wrong, but the words of Paul in Galatians 6 verses 7 should encourage us. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The law of consequences cannot be dodged. Sooner or later, he who kills with the sword must himself be killed. He who takes hostages must himself be taken hostage. In the last part of Revelation 13 verses 10, Jesus ends by saying, Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. Endurance is the exercise of patience in the face of trials. Faith is the trust we need to put in the Lord to help us endure. It will be extremely difficult to refuse to worship the beast, but the Lord Jesus will richly reward those who stand against him with endurance and faith. Now, from verse 11 onwards, John sees another beast coming. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. Notice that the second beast rises from the earth, and not the sea. The earth is used throughout this book as a symbol of Israel. That is why most biblical scholars think this man is probably a Jew. He comes from Israel and has two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. He looks like a lamb, but he talks like a dragon. He is therefore a counterfeit lamb, a false prophet, a false Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who comes instead of Christ, who passes himself off as though he were Christ. It is for this reason I believe the term Antichrist is best applied to the second beast, although both beasts are anti-Christian in character. Horns speak of power, 
So this man has two lamb-like powers. Jesus also had these powers. He had the powers of a priest and of a prophet. This man acts as both. Jesus is a priest who leads men and women all over the world to worship the Father. This individual is a priest leading the world to worship the first beast. Here we have a satanic trinity. The first beast corresponds to the Father. The false prophet corresponds to the Son and the dragon himself, Satan, playing the role of the invisible Holy Spirit. It is Satan's imitation of the true God. The false priest accomplishes his aim in getting the world to worship the beast in a very remarkable way, described in Revelation 13 verses 13 to 15. The beast performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak, and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Here, the second beast, the Antichrist, acts like a prophet. The prophets of the Old Testament performed miracles to establish their credentials with their God-given authority. Moses and Elijah each did great miracles, as did the two witnesses of chapter 11, by calling fire down from heaven. So this man must also call fire from heaven. Both Paul and Jesus himself tells us that the devil has the power to do miracles as well. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 9 to 10 that the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonder and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Jesus said in Matthew 24 verses 24 that false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray if possible even the elect. So we must not trust every miracle as though it were done by God. It may be the work of the enemy, Satan. There is a warning here for us today as well. We do see miracles in the church today, but we should always test these miracles against God's word. A simple test would be where the focus of the miracle is, on the person who performed the miracle or on Jesus. And does the miracle have a permanent and lasting effect on the body of Christ? This false prophet calls down fire from heaven and deceives the world by these false miracles. Many biblical scholars feel that because he is a Jew, he will have his headquarters in Jerusalem. I think that this is highly likely. He is the one whom the prophet Daniel identifies as making a covenant with the Jews for one week or seven years and so he must be capable of solving the centuries-old problem of the Middle East, the conflict between the Arabs and the Israelis. During the first half of that week, the temple will be rebuilt on Mount Moriah. We saw that briefly in chapter 11. For a seven-year period, the Jews believe they are allowed to re-establish their worship in the temple, but Daniel says in Daniel 9 verses 26 that this prince who is to come shall break that covenant in the middle of the week after three and a half years, and entering the temple himself begin to exalt himself as God, just as Paul describes in his letter to the Thessalonians. Since the political leader of the ten-nation Western coalition is based in Rome, 
this religious leader in Jerusalem will create an image of the Roman leader and put it in the temple for the worship of the world. He is able, we are told, to give breath to that image to make it seem alive. In one of the exhibits in Disneyland, you can find Abraham Lincoln sitting in a chair. He looks very real, and while you are standing there, he will get up out of the chair and walk over and talk to you. Hollywood movies are filled with images that have been created by computers and look completely real. One movie, The Fast and Furious 7, featured the computer-generated version of one of the actors, Paul Walker, who had been killed in the middle of the filming. The result was very lifelike and real, convincing audiences that the actor was still alive. So the technology to make an image of a man that seems to live and speak and walk is already here. The whole world will doubtless worship it. It is not necessary that they really think it is a living person, but they will worship it because it represents a living person, and they will honor that impressive symbol in that day, in the same way we honor sports heroes or legendary figures, like the President of the United States or the Queen of England. By means of this image, this false prophet will claim godlike powers for himself and the first beast, and will command the loyalty and obedience of all on the earth. Wisdom and watchfulness is what we need today. The signs are all around us, and although we all know that we are in the period just before the last days, the chessboard and most of its pieces are set up and in place already for the last battle. Revelation 13 verses 16 to 18 reveals how this man rebuilds the world economic system and the number 666 is revealed. The beast causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is 666. Evidently, during these last days, worldwide commerce will be rigidly controlled from a central headquarters. Once again, we should recognize that the technology to do this is already in place. If you have a credit card, you know that your entire credit information can be imprinted on that small metallic chip embedded in the card, so that whenever you present that card, everyone will instantly know whether you are a credit risk or that you pay your bills. Furthermore, during the Gulf War, American soldiers had subcutaneous chips implanted in the skin on the back of the hand, or on the forehead, or wherever desired, so that information about them could be read by passing their hands under a beam of light, just as they do now in the supermarkets with the barcodes. Our two dogs both have subcutaneous chips embedded under their skin, so if they get lost, a vet can scan them and determine where they come from and who are their owners. This technology is not satanic or evil. My dogs or the American soldiers from the Gulf War are not agents of Satan or worshippers of the Antichrist. The technology exists and will be adapted and used for the Antichrist's evil purposes. It is remarkable how we are drawing close to these last days. The mark that Revelation 13 verses 16 speaks of is Satan's imitation of God's seal on his own people. In chapter 7, we learn that 144,000 from the tribes of Israel were sealed on their foreheads by God. That indicates that they are owned by God. 
and they belong to Him. The Apostle Paul says that Christians are sealed today. Every believer in Christ is sealed by the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 to 20 that, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The Spirit of God comes to dwell in us and He will never leave. It is a sign that we belong to God. We cannot live our lives for ourselves anymore. We belong to God. Christians in the first century often had to make a public choice, once a year, between declaring Caesar is Lord or Jesus is Lord. Many of them died because they refused to say Caesar is Lord. So here again emerges a scheme devised by these two leaders to force people to declare whether they belong to the beast or to the Lord. People will be asked, Is the beast Lord or is Jesus Lord? The mark that is mentioned is said to be either the name of the beast or the number of his name. This refers to the first beast, not the second. The second beast is called later the false prophet in Revelation 16 verses 13, Revelation 19 verses 20, and again in Revelation 20 verses 10. The first beast is also simply called the beast. The mark is the name of that beast or its number. His name is unknown, it is never referred to, but the number is given. 666. Surely the most foolish thing that any believer can do is to try to identify this person today by using the number 666. We know of course that the ancient languages used letters for numbers. If you use Roman numerals today, you use letters in the place of numbers. The Greek language is similar. The letters have numerical value, and many believers thought that when they added up the numerical value of certain names, and if it came out to 666, that person must be the Antichrist. The problem is that they try this with English letters. That is simply ludicrous, because you are working with the wrong language to start with. Let me give you a brief list of names that have been identified as the Antichrist by this means. The Emperor Nero, of course, was one of the first. One of his predecessors as Emperor was Caligula, the Mad Emperor, and his name supposedly adds up to 666. Then the successor to Nero was Domitian, and his name, with a little manipulation, can be added up in this way. So also was Muhammad, Oliver Cromwell, John Knox, Martin Luther, various popes, and of course, Adolf Hitler. Even poor Henry Kissinger had to bear the stigma, and soon after that, of course, it was Gorbachev, and quite recently, the ex-president of the United States, Barack Obama. Most recently, Jared Kushner, the son-in-law of the ex-president of the United States, Donald Trump, was labeled the Antichrist because he is Jewish, and he brought so-called peace to the Middle East. It is really absurd to use this method because the clue given here is very important. The wisdom that is called for in verse 18 is not a pocket calculator. Notice the clue in verse 18. It is man's number. It is not a man's number. It is man's number. It is a number associated with man. There is no individual identified here at all. It reveals the character of the one who is talking and acting and living. So, if you see someone acting like God, claiming unusual powers, and teaching people that man is in charge of all things and that he can do anything, you are listening to a man, 
and his thinking reflects the number of man, 666. It is man's number. I found this remarkable quote from Eugene Peterson on the internet. He is the author of the message. He said, Expose these religious pretensions. This religion has nothing to do with God. Get its number. It is a human number. It is not divine mystery, but a con man's patter. It is religion that makes a show, religion that vaunts itself, religion that takes our eyes off the poor and suffering and holy Christ. In the language of numbers, 666 is a triple failure to be a 777, the three times perfect whole divine number. So we see that John is showing us how Satan operates. He attempts to control behavior and from that always comes violence. When any government turns totalitarian and seeks to control every deed and every act of its citizens, it always produces a violent reaction. Turn on your television sets and you will see it in virtually every news broadcast today. The Antichrist, or false prophet, tries to organize belief as well as behavior, and when belief is organized, it always produces deceit. There is nothing more deceitful than false religion. These are the weapons of Satan. He either intimidates or deceives. He has only two weapons, force or fantasy, lying or brutality, one or the other, or a mixture of both. Remember the dragon with seven heads which symbolizes intellect, seven crowns which symbolizes authority, and ten horns which symbolizes power? We saw that this signified man-made religion, the worship of man. What Revelation 13 verses 8 through to 18 is saying that, although the Antichrist is violent, wait, endure, and be patient, because God will work this all out. God's law will never be set aside. Sooner or later, Satan's instrument will hang himself, as Judas did. He will be caught up in his own web, just like verse 10 tells us will happen. And when the Antichrist lies, God says, Think, be critical, and evaluate. More often than not, we make the mistake of judging someone's spirituality or a church's success by the signs, wonders, miracles, or the numbers of people who are slain in the spirit in meetings. We must think, be critical, and evaluate everything. Even today, when anyone acts godlike, makes pretentious claims, claims supernatural gifts, and demands obedience, it is not God talking. He is not from God. It is just a man, that is all, thinking and acting like a fallen man. It is not the real lamb. It is only a fake lamb, so turn away and refuse to follow him. But be prepared to hold out even unto death. That is the message of this chapter. I hope you can see how true this is, how it is confirmed every day by life around us. We are heading for these very things at a greater speed than we have ever seen before in the history of the world. So let Satan and his servants have their day. Let Satan have his hour. Let Antichrist shoot his flaming arrows. Let him loose his demons and servants to kill believers. The future is still God's, and we belong to God, and the future is ours. This is our faith, and we patiently endure through it, all to the glory of the kingdom promised to us. And in the end, we will be victorious. This is David Wiles, your fellow traveling Christ, and this has been the Journey Through the Scriptures podcast, episode 44. Thank you.